Hey, it's Shane here. Throughout the majority of my career, I spent thousands of hours on my technique to try to be as close to perfect as I could be. But the one thing I didn't work on was my mental skills. On the exact mindset I needed every ball to be able to access all of my technical skills that I worked so hard to develop. Well, I've recently released my book, Winning the Inner Battle, which has all of the information that you will ever need to deeply understand how you can create the correct mindset for you so that you can bring the best version of yourself every time you step out into the middle. Go to shamewatson.au to purchase a copy of Winning the Inner Battle now. It is available in paperback, ebook, or audiobook versions. Well, it's now time for your episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Enjoy. I think I look back and that for me, becoming an um, you know, ambassador there, uh, as, that really helped me actually in my cricket because it, I, I love going, like going there. So it's an incredible place anyway. Um, and to see the work that's done. But again, those kids that just, like I said, every day just get up, whatever's going on in their life, the illnesses and everything that's going on, it's so positive and I think for me taking that back into sport that was probably one of the most um, it was the best thing I've ever done or one of the best things I've ever done Hello everyone and welcome to Lessons Learned with the Greats I'm Shane Watson and today we are joined by another one of my great Ashes foes this guy in full flight which was quite often in Ashes test matches, was an absolute treat on the eye with such effortless timing of the ball and a very complete game with no real chinks in his armour at all. We both tread very similar paths in so many different ways, just on different sides of the world. And I'm super excited to welcome Ian Bell to my show today. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me, mate. No worries. Good to see you, Walter. You too. In Belly's 118 test matches that he played, <laughs> he scored 7,727 runs at an awesome average of 42.69 with a whopping 22 test centuries. To go with this, in his 161 one-day internationals that he played, he scored just over 5,400 runs, averaging nearly 38 with four centuries. And I have to mention that Belly also, he scored just over 20,000 first class, 20,000 first class <laughs> runs, goodness me. He's 312 games. Belly, honestly, these are absolutely phenomenal numbers. Um, and now that you've, you've just retired as well, what do you think when you hear about these incredible statistics that you've achieved? Um, well, I think firstly, it's, um, yeah, it's obviously great to look back now, isn't it? I think, um, Individually, you know, you get so absorbed in, you know, your training and what you're doing in, on, on a, um, you know, I suppose on a, on a daily basis and you're looking at those short-term goals. So I think when you come out of it, it's nice to, to reflect on some good times or some low times as well. I know you've been very kind to me there on some Ashley's wins, but we've also uh, copped a few on the uh, on the other way around as well. Um, certainly a couple of tours to Australia. So I think that that's the beauty. You look back on, like I said, there's some numbers and stats, but there's some amazing um memories as well that go with that you know the, the teammates you've played with people you've played against uh, the highs the lows the, everything that goes in there I think I think that's the um, uh, the beauty isn't it of playing sport and looking back over such a long period of time um, and if you'd have you know as a, as a kid growing up if you'd have offered me one test match for England I'd have taken it so I feel very lucky um, you know to have played certainly for my county Warwickshire and then going on to play for England um, you know, and, and, and to achieve the, some of the stuff we did in, in, in the group I played with and some of the great players I played with and against, you know, I feel very lucky. 
Yeah, it's very very cool, man. As you said, like that that one test match is your always dream of being able to play one game, let alone one hundred and eighteen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Um, before we go any further, um, there is one highlight of you that really stands out to me um, above all others. And that was your 2013 Ashes um, Test Series in England when you scored 562 runs with three centuries. Um, we just could not get you out. And all of these three centuries were match-winning ones as well. Um, and the one probably that stands out um, that's etched in my memory, really etched in my memory, is your 109 in the first test at Trent Bridge. Um, yeah. They were like, during this that series, the runs that you scored were such crucial runs when you guys a lot of the time were under serious pressure um what do you what do you remember about that incredible time um well probably just just peaking at the right time i suppose in any any sport whether you're going into um you know i suppose or into a world cup or uh, into a big series you just want to peak at the right time and i think it looked back looking back on the ashes that i played in the seven series i played in you know i probably just hit my absolute peak and form just just came at the right time. You know, I played New Zealand in the series before, got some real nice starts, never got the big score, but I just felt like something was around the corner. Um, so just felt like, you know, that, that um, it was just meant to be certainly in that first inning. I remember walking off after the first innings. I think we, we were probably batting quite a lot under lights in that first day, uh, first innings at Trent bridge and it swung around a little bit, but the movement felt right. Um, and I think, you know, in a way, I mean, being honest, I think even leading in certainly the first part of my career, certainly in this country, I was always seen as somebody that looked nice, but never probably, um, you know, got the hundred when the team really needed it. I mean, I think through my career, I started to shift that. So for me, if I looked honestly, it was such a big series for me in Ashes cricket um, to be able to deliver that, as you said, as uh, with the team under pressure um, and hopefully a de- couple of decent cover drives in there as well. What the- it certainly was, mate. <laughs> um, yeah, like as you said, like um, yeah, to be able to peak at the right time, um, and mm. and you certainly did. And and look, you said you sell yourself short there in a big way that you know people say you made you know pretty like really nice runs and pretty runs. But gosh, twenty two mm. test centuries as well, mate. <laughs> Capitalised a few yeah, more no, times than I did. <laughs> okay, um, Bill, you've had so many incredible highlights throughout your career. Um, is there one um, that stands out above all others for you? Look, I think I th- there's no doubt. Um, I mean, we get asked this quite a lot here mm. in terms of obviously Ashes cricket is so big, isn't it, mm. in Australia and England and, and everything. Uh, there's no doubt the, the, the pinnacle for us, I think, and the, t- the lads that I played with was winning that series in Australia uh, mm. 2011, certainly when mm. Cookie played that well. I mean, that that for us and the history and the amount of time it's taken an England side to win over there and we still don't know going forward how long it will be again. Um, you know, Australia looked pretty strong. So it's... Um, you know that that for me was the absolute pinnacle. I think as well, um, not too long after that, obviously winning a Test series in India as well. I think um, they were the two things that I suppose um, in Test cricket we see a lot of teams winning their series at home, but travelling on the road is a lot harder. Um, so I think for us to, to to play against the sides and the players that we did, um, and to win, like I said, away on the roads in Australia and, and India were the two best series that certainly I was involved in, in, in the teams that I played in. Yeah, great. There's a lot of joy for, for you guys in that Ashes series at, here in Australia. But <laughs> <laughs> a few heads rolled after that. Well, <laughs> That's what normally we happens. We've got a few as well, mate, though, to be honest with you. Mate. There's nine after uh, yeah, losing probably two series, five mil as well. So I know what it feels like the other way around. So it was nice to Last year, one, one winner's beer in the SCG was quite nice then. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Um, 
And what you talk there as well about about India and, and winning in India, obviously mm. that's just the hardest. Mm. That is such a, gosh, a mm. rarity to be able to win away. Mm. Um, yeah, what a, what an amazing achievement. And to be a part of of te- like those two teams that you talked about. And it's it's the thing that I'm so fascinated about with um, this the question that I ask about highlights of someone's career, just about, just about everyone comes back to team. Yeah. Because that's a beauty yeah. of cricket. Yes, of course it's a, it's a, um, it is a team sport, but there's, an, there's certainly a significant individual component in there as well. That's a beauty yeah. of cricket because everything Absolutely, comes back yeah. to the team, the team experiences, what you've done, what you've been able mm. to achieve, not just like a one-off sort of innings where you bat, you know, bat the house down and do, do that. It's actually that camaraderie, that, that team, what you're able to actually do together and, and come together. It's a, it's an incredible thing about the game of cricket. hundred percent. I think you, you never, can recreate those times. You, obviously, you've won the World Cup, so that moment you have in the dressing room after winning a World Cup, there's only a few people in the world who ever know what that feels like. Like you said, it's winning with your mates uh, and those moments, those hour or two after when the families come in and everything like that, they're, they're the moments you look back on as, as the best. Like you said, we can all look at numbers and, um, and all that, but I think it is those moments. They're the things you look back in your career with just such fond memories and you, you try and say to the young lads now coming through, you know, you win a series or you win you know, again, then the first thing you want to do is just get out and like you sort of think the, the, you'll learn when by the end of your career that this, you can never recreate this. You can go for, to a, um, another bar and have a beer with the lads at that point, but you can do that again. But this bit, you can never recreate. And it's, um, I think uh, the older you get, you realise that those moments, like I said, they don't always come around very often. Yeah, exactly. And you've got to hold on to those. And as you said, like, especially mm. the, the, the younger generation is, and it's, mm. it's gradually yeah, moved that way through the back end of my career yeah. as well as, yeah. You got to hold on to those special like team times because you said you can go you know down the road for a beer or get out and go somewhere, yeah. um, you know whatever you want, especially even when you finish playing. But to be able to really enjoy that that team that special moment with your teammates, yeah, you, it's hard to recreate that. Yeah, and also winning's hard, isn't it? Like what you expect uh, you you obviously want to win all the time, but it doesn't always happen. So when you win, you want to make the most of it. That's for sure. Okay, we're going to get into the lessons that you learned around the technical side of batting now. I know you're very much yeah. a, um, a technician. So from a batting perspective, was there one specific technical component that really stands out to you um, that you developed? And from that moment on, every time you went out to bat, you knew if you bought that every time, you're a great chance of, of having a great day. Yes. And yes, to be honest with you, the answer is yes. I think the, the one thing I look back on now, whether it's slightly harder for the next generation, I mean, I grew up in an era where, I mean, I suppose growing up at Warwickshire, I had a good coach that stayed with me for most of my career. Batting coach? Batting coach. So he knew me since I was 10 years old. Oh, wow. All the way through to playing for England. Mm-hmm. So he was always my person I'd go back to, mm-hmm. um, even though I had good coaches in and out of the England side and county, but he was the one guy I'd always go back to. Mm-hmm. So I think it was a, a real help. And I think that is mm-hmm. a real nice thing to do because they just know you. Um, they can be straight. They can be honest. Um, you know, and, and it, it, I, for me, it was very helpful. Um, but again, growing up, because there was no T20 around um, and white ball cricket to be at that stage was probably an extension of of four day cricket to an extent in England. And maybe you'll play the odd reverse sweep to spinners and stuff, but there was none of the modern day cricket. So for me, every day was just honing top of off, good footwork, being able to cut, pull. So the real basics of four day cricket I do think that now, if I flip that around to now, there's obviously a lot more going to go on, isn't there? You'd be mm. practicing all sorts of shots and you do see that with the next generation. So I think my, mine was just growing up with just honing the basics every single day um, as a kid. And I think that sort of helped look after me through my test career. 
mm. um, because it felt natural. Um, and I think when I got into the, in the test environment, it was always about, it, it, for me, I always felt I could cross the line and react, have fun and enjoy the challenge of a test match when I've done all my preparation. So my theory was always prep harder than, than anyone else in the group and just do as much as I could if it was train with faster bowling, more spin, whatever it was, to try and get mm. myself in that position that if I'd have done that the night before a test, I could nearly be, okay, I'm ready to go. Whatever happens, if I nick off a naught, I can sleep with that because I know I've done all my work and I felt mm. like, you know, the preparation and the technique, technical work I've done through my uh, being a young player um, and then a matter it was just work ethic to know that if I've done every, all that stuff, um, what will be when I cross that, um, cross the white line. Great. I've got a couple of questions with that. One is, um, was one of the things that you really were, were really conscious of in like in the, in the lead up to a, to a test match, for example, mm. was it, um, was it like your pre-move? Cause I know you had a little bit of a pre-movement. Was it your back yeah. tap? Was it your head position? Was there one thing that you really focused on? You knew if you had that right, then you're going to be, you're going to be, be able to react to the best of your ability. Yeah, uh, I think it was more the rhythm of that movement. Mm. Certainly the back and across. It was nearly, and it did evolve a little bit through my career and change. But if I got that rhythm right, then yeah, definitely. That's when whatever comes down, whether it's reverse swing, seam, I felt like I was in the best possible uh, place to deal with anything. And like you know what it's like when you get into that kind of rhythm and that form, that confidence, then everything seems to just slow down a little bit more, whether it doesn't matter what's going on. And if that's a bit out of sync, everything just speeds up and... Um, you feel a lot more out of control with what's coming down. Yeah. So what was your, so for you, what was that timing? What did that timing look like? Was it obviously it's a rhythm um, of the feel, but was it, um, was it as the bowl was sort of getting into their load up? Was it a bit early in that? Was you, were you really conscious about the, the timing of that movement? Well, I was certainly trying to repeat as much as I could every ball. Yeah. I know yeah. Jonathan Trott for us had a real uh, emphasis, something that he repeated regularly with this, uh, making this, um, obviously his guard on leg stump, but mm. I try and have a repeatable, um, rhythm that I would face for every single ball. Um, and then obviously as I got in, but it, it would, for me, in my mind, I was just thinking, watch the ball and react. That's all I used to say to myself in my head um, and was to move, get that movement in as early as possible to make sure then again, again, it wasn't rushed. But I think over time when you're in for it's just that natural rhythm of it. Um, and probably when you were out of form, it was a bit late. Yeah, absolutely. That's the one thing that I know, like, gosh, it was really important for me as well. If, if I'm moving and my, a lot of people have pre-movements and you work that out yourself mm-hmm. of what pre-movement mm-hmm. works best for you, but you're better off getting it done early, too early than too late. Cause as soon as you're yeah. too late, then you're rushing, your head's yeah. moving around. Absolutely, Everything yeah. feels yeah. really sped up. Whereas if you actually get there earlier, then things seem to slow down until you get to a point where you said, where you're totally in sync with the bowler and then you yeah. get your timing right. And then yeah, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. Um, okay. The other thing that I find fascinating is around, you talked about in your preparation, making sure like you, you ticked every box you possibly could with it from a batting yeah. perspective. So then your mindset yeah. actually going into the game was not really getting into the technical side of things at all. It was just watch the ball no. and, and have fun and, and react. Is that right? And you just cleared your mind just to have that. 100%, you know, technique for me then was trying to be put to bed and, and out the window really was just about getting in the contest, understanding the surface you're on, um, what's the right shots to play in this. And obviously through our era and obviously now there's so much footage of everyone, you're just trying to make sure you're as prepared with what's coming um, as you possibly can. And I think that, and that's the conversations, you know, obviously with having someone like KP in particular in ours, that was, that was very much his philosophy was that it was his opportunity to go out and show off. 
you know, if you do all the hard work, you can go, you, you can nearly go in with that frame of mind to react. And, and that's the stage, isn't it? To, to go and show people how good a player you are. And, and, and that sort of was sort of the conversations we used to try and have. And, and I certainly felt that was the, my, my mindset in terms of just making sure, like you said, ticking all the boxes, prepared as you possibly can. And like, if you, if you nick off to a good one first up, fair enough or you get a bad decision that's out of your control as long as you did the press there was nothing worse I mean I certainly learned the lessons growing up that if you did cut those corners and you got out you know I, that's, that's when it hurt me more than actually when I knew that you know there's certain things that you like you said you can't control Bill you became a very good player spin bowling as well um, were there a couple of technical keys that you really worked hard on and knew if, once you implemented these you were you're going to be you know you're going to be able to get on top of spin um, you know, like you did um, to be honest, I think it was more mindset. I think certainly okay. early in my days. Um, I, again, I, I was lucky enough growing up in a setup that they did focus a lot. Um, like I said, at Warwickshire, we did a lot of either extreme pace, short pitch bowling, or playing as much spin and, and getting all the mats out and just getting it turning. So I sort of grew up honing those skills. Mm. Um, but I think for me, it was more a mindset when I got to the highest level. Um, you know, I think the, the best lesson I had actually was 2005 against Warney, really, because I probably played him, not the ball, and forgot that actually what are my strengths? Actually, I've got good quick feet. I can get up the wicket. I can hit over the top. I've got a sweep and actually started to nearly play what was coming than actually just trusting what my ability was and be positive. And then obviously we played morally about a year and a bit later. And I tried to take all the lessons I'd learned from the mistakes I'd made before mm. into that and was a lot more proactive then straight away coming down, trying to hit him off his length to just put something back on him. And I think that was, that was I, when I talk to young players about playing spin, that's the first thing I say is, is, is actually don't play whatever quality of spinning. You've got to forget that half volley is a half volley but it's your attitude, your aggression, your, your, you know, being busy and looking for runs is the most important thing you can do playing spin. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to like, there's a couple of really mental um, skills keys that you talk about and I'm, I'll dig into that mm. in a sec because I find it absolutely fascinating. Mm. But look, from a fitness perspective, um, you're always very fit and a, and a great athlete. Um, so what did your fitness regime look like throughout, throughout your career? Um, I'll be honest, mate. Again, as a, and I'm sure a lot of sportsmen are saying, I grew up, as a kid, again, love football, love rugby. So I was just, that was where it was as a kid, just playing as many different sports as I possibly could. So mm. felt quite lucky that I had, you know, all those crossovers that I suppose helps with your cricket, helps with your fielding, mm. helps with all that stuff. So that was that. And I think England actually, I mean, being honest, I don't know what it looked like from the outside. I think the England team that I walked into or came into as a younger player was was professional, but it wasn't until Andy Flower turned up that, we probably got a bit of a prod. Yeah. I said there would have, there probably would have been a bit of a mixture between some very fit guys and not. But Flower, when he came in, um, he he literally just took us to another level. And I think, not that we weren't fit, but I think he pushed us. Again, uh, one of his things was, again, I think playing in that Zimbabwean side, he did, um, where they were probably underdogs all the time. So that, that was one of their major... Um, um, I suppose areas they could control. They might not have the ability that the other teams would have, but mm. if they were physically strong and and, and big, um, they would. That's an area that they can, you know, they can look at people in the eye and take them on. Um, and I think he brought that sort of attitude to us. Mm. Um, and he probably saw us as a side quite talented, but needed a little bit more of a nudge, a bit more of a spit of steel. And I think the whole mm. collective side of that, um, and it certainly helped me. I got actually probably fitter at that time with Flower than I probably had done before, even though that. 
it was quite a natural um, fitness. But um, yeah, that, that's probably where it was. But I mean, again, like in anything, I mean, English cricket, when I first started was, I wouldn't say it was massively professional, but I think over time it's got seriously professional and the guys now are, are incredibly fit now. Mm. Where, that stuff that you do with Andy Flower around that time, mm. was, it, was it cricket specific or was it more just like um, going hard just to be able to build that you know, and develop and grow that fitness base? I, I think it was a bit of that and I think it was testing guys. I think he wanted to see who, I think he was putting jabs into the group and see who wants to go through this and who wants to be there because knowing that, again, in cricket, you're going to get tested in many ways. And I sort of, there was a relate, there was probably a bit of a relationship between the physical work, getting fit, getting strong, but also the mental side, mm. like really putting yourself through it. And he wanted to, I think he was testing people through the group to see who was going to, you know, who was not, who's going to give in. And if you did that, you were gone. And I think he had that kind of mindset. And it worked, I think, to start. Mm. And obviously, um, and it probably has a shelf life over a period of time, yeah. but um, it certainly helped our group at the time. Yep. Brilliant. And um, to be able to play for as long as you did as well um, and be at the top for so long, um, you obviously manage your body um, yeah, incredibly well as well. Um, so did you have any like setbacks from an injury point of view that you, that you had to learn from to be, able to, um, to be able to stay on the field and manage your body as well as you could? Not, again, not, not really, mate. I mean, I had one where I broke my, um, broke my foot against Bangladesh, but that was, again, mm. randomly diving in the field. Mm. Um, and it cost me six weeks, but that, that was the only thing really through my England career that I ever had an injury. So I touched what I was quite lucky. It's only in the last sort of two years that I, um, that I picked up injuries when I was back actually playing county cricket. Um, okay. so I've had a, a again, that was a, another foot injury as well. I actually ruptured a, actually it was in the PSL, I ruptured, um, a ligament in my foot and went home early, oh, that's right, um, yeah. uh, a year and a half ago. So yeah, to be honest with you, touch wood. Um, I've never had any major injuries that have kept me out of cricket for a long period of time, certainly with England. Um, you know, and I, I suppose with any of it for me it was just as a batsman, um, you know, I did a, we did a lot of running, a, a lot of aerobic stuff. I mean, I probably didn't do as many weights, maybe looking back now, if I was going to evolve and adapt to become more of a power player, mm. um, you probably, I would have probably lifted more weights. But again, for me, I was quite lightweight. So again, probably there wasn't a lot going through the, you know, um, you know, through the um, knees and, and ankles anyway. So, mm. yeah, I was, I was quite lucky with injury. Good for you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I gave up the ball earlier than you. Yeah, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, we're going to move into the mental skills side of things because a few things you touched on already are mm. absolutely f- are fascinating. I want to dig into them a little bit de- um, a little bit deeper. So you talked about um, on game day, what you were fully focused on was um, clearing your mind, just getting into the contest and, and reacting. So, so talk to me about, um, did you or were you always like that? Like, was there a point in time where you realized that that was actually the best version of you or did you do that from a young age? That was just naturally because of the, no. you know, what you worked on and your coach that you're coaching that you had that you, you did that from a young age. No, oh, definitely not. I think I technically, I obviously I haven't changed much since I was young, um, in terms of my batting, but mentally it took a while. I think, um, we, we had a guy come into our team, a guy called Mark Borden, actually, who was our psychologist, um, who just had an amazing way of explaining or making you understand the mental side of the game, mm. um, which I, and I suppose it is relationships and you're building with people and sometimes it just connects. But with that group, again, um, certainly for me, just gave us an amazing way of understanding what you're going through, what you're feeling, so that you can actually put a plan together in your mind what you're going to go out and do. Um, 
so yeah, he really helped me put that together really. So I had sort of a, I suppose, technical work-ons, but also these mental things in the nets to go ahead and go away and reverse, um, rehearse, sorry. Mm. Um, and that was a lot of values, rehearsing what's about to come, you know, come, um, come up in a couple of days for a test match and mm. introducing a lot of the visualization stuff. I mean, this stuff, yes, I'd heard about it and yes, um, you know, you talk about it, but it wasn't until really I'd had that relationship with him. And probably, that was probably 30 test matches into a career that I really started to understand more the mental side of the game, but also my what works for me mm. and what I was doing. So there was obviously things I was doing well, but not probably aware of. But then when he started to put it all together for me and then I started to put it into my training with my batting, it became a, a lot easier. But uh, I, know, I know there's quite a few of us that, again, that relationship was just the right person at the right time with that group. Um, gave us a real understanding to try and be, you know, to be able to give us some tools to go out and execute and be the best player again you can be on on, on the match day. Yeah, big part of what you said there is around the defining actually the best version of you from a mental skills because mm. of course the technical side of things you've always evolved and we've always mm. evolved as, yeah. a, as a young kid, but it's the yeah. mental skills aspect. And until you define yeah. that actual what the best version of you looks like, it's hard to have a plan of how to be able to you know put it in place as often as you possibly can and train it. I said, not just in the game, it's actually in training as well to be able to continue to develop that skill. 100%. I can't, I keep saying to, again, the young players and guys I've talked to that how important it is to be training your mind as much as it is your technique. You have to be constantly, um, you know, thinking about how you're improving. Even if it's rehearsing your first 20 balls that you're about to go and do, we all know as a batter, the hardest part is starting, you know, and trying to nearly rehearse going through, making sure you're making good habits all the time in training um, that you're going to carry over. And, and like you said, being comfortable in what your strengths are uh, and comfortable in your own skin about what you're about to go and do and, and trusting that. Um, and I think, like you said, when you can understand that and you put it all together, and I suppose um, you know, watching someone like Steve Smith from a distance, again, watching his evolve, how he's evolved, now he's comfortable in everything, his technique, and his, it's just phenomenal to watch how he has grown into this player. And I'm sure that comes down to the same thing that understanding and his technique how it's evolved to be so comfortable in what he's about and he just goes out and delivers yeah absolutely and uh, so and you touched on the visualization side of things and that is something that's so incredibly powerful because the the power of the mind is if you visualize something it actually your your body can start to adapt to that even without actually having to really do that um do that movement pattern in training or in a game um when did you used to use that vis- visualization skill? Was that in the lead up to a t- test match um, or to a game? Or was it more so like even yeah throughout tra- training sessions and lead up to training sessions, that sort of thing as well? Uh, a bit of both, probably more so going into the game, trying to just rehearse and go through again, like the bowling, who bowlers are going to play in that test match, uh, shots that I wanted to play. So I'm trying to see myself as well being successful, see myself, how I'm going to move in a positive way, not, um, you know, not survive. And I think that was, that was, um, you know, and just taking that time. I know there's lots of evidence and, and videos of other players doing it and just taking that moment sometimes at the end of training just to go and sit on the ground and just start thinking about what it feels like when it's full and what it's going to feel like to walk out to bat because they're, they're, they're the moments, aren't they? And the, the moments waiting to bat. But just trying to put yourself in that place just so that the next day or when it happens, it's not a shock. And I think that's the, you know, when you've rehearsed it, it, it you know, it's it takes away the shock you nearly feel like, oh, I've been here before, I've done this, I've gone, I'm going through this again, um, which is a much better place to be. And I think relating it all the way to the training was just trying to put in that in. So you train harder than, you, do, you shouldn't be any shocks to when you walk out to the middle, you shouldn't be mentally and 
you know, you should be in the right place that whatever comes your way, um, even sometimes just rehearsing the fact that, especially playing against you guys, you might cop some straight away rather than it being a surprise. Like you just got to make sure, again, your mind is, is just um, putting yourself in the place that you're going to be, I think, when, when performance comes around. For, so we'll talk about, talk about game day now. What, from a mental skills perspective and intensity and, and everything that you're rehearsed, what does, what do the best version of you exactly look like? I think for me, it just gave me pure clarity. So I think the getting all that right and doing all that for me, it just gave me absolute clarity to just strip mm. it right back down to just watching the ball. I think that's for me when I'm batting at my best or I'm out there, then it literally you, I'm, I'm in that place that you're just watching the ball and it's, it's, I think you are keeping it as simple as possible when that, it's not quite working there's a lot more things going on in your mind and it's all cluttered so actually just making sure that you can get it as, as simple as it possibly can it, it, it's trusting yourself to watch the ball and react to whatever comes your way yeah and then with the, what you talked about with playing spin the mindset and um, around taking the game on um, and mm-hmm. I know that's the way you, you batted against quicks as well when you're, when you're at your best mm-hmm. was that, that mm-hmm. intent of course, you're yeah, yeah. that fo- single focus and clarity of watching the ball, but you certainly yeah. like when you're when you're at your best, which was a lot, was really having that intent to be able to put the pressure on the bowler, to be able to make it that they had to bowl it exactly right, otherwise you're all over it. One hundred percent. I think the and for me, I know know my technique as well. That if if mentally I was um, thinking about surviving, that's when my bad habits used to come in. So uh, naturally, I was a little bit my back would come a little bit into out. If I was thinking surviving, I would constantly be doing that. If I'm thinking score runs, all of a sudden I pick the bat up better and my movements so I can leave, I defend much, much better than if I'm thinking survive. So I think over time you, you sort of nearly learn that. Um, but yeah, the, that intent for runs and the better play, you, the better bowlers you're playing, you can't miss out on, on boundary score, scoring options. You can't, they'll just bowl there all day. So um that that has to be a mindset and I'm imagining that most top players are always talking about that and trying to make that margin for error for any bowler as small as it possibly can and but for me yeah that 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 mindset of looking to score was all down to actually I know that if I if I was negative and tried to survive all my bad habits would would creep in and um I'd be a lot easier to get out exactly right that's the the key understanding of when someone goes into defensive mode, into survival mode, don't get out. That's when you, mm. what you've mentioned there is so brilliant is mm. that's when you start moving away from the best version of you. And gosh, I, certainly yeah. I did it a lot of times, especially when you're under the gun and you, you know, you've mm. got to score runs to be able to keep your spot and all that sort of stuff that the easiest thing to do, your default can be going to just, well, don't get out in survival mode, but yeah. everyone's best version of themselves is with intent with actually like taking the game on with that sort of yeah. aggressive sort of mindset um, and clarity, of course. You can still leave with intent. You can still yeah. defend with intent. It doesn't mean you're teeing off as such, but yeah. I think that was sort of the wording, isn't it? It's that always um, doing it with with a presence and with, with positive intent all the time. Yeah, and I'm going to go on to something as well that you talked about around just in your own mind that you knew if you did the preparation – if you mm. really knew you ticked every box in the lead up to it, that the end result, whatever that was, you you know there's things out of your control. You could get a good ball early, you could get a bad decision, and yeah. and the importance of actually not just totally being so fixated on the end result that you Absolutely. knew if you did everything you could, there's things out of your control, and and you and you're okay with that. But that's also an incredible skill as well because gosh, I was incredibly good at beating myself up when. 
and I couldn't accept that I didn't score runs in important games and that sort of thing because I was so obsessed with or well, didn't have that mm. mindset for a long period of time of if I did the preparation, you know, there's things out of my control. I just got to let it go. So when did you develop that mindset as well? Because that, like, that's also really important to not to be able to free yourself up to not actually go in defensive mode. One one hundred percent is the hard, I think it's one of the hardest things to do, isn't it? Is we live in an outcome world, like whether we're whatever whatever we're doing on the and the sport and sport is cricket is a massive outcome world. And some days we might get 10, 20, 30, it might be the best 30 we've ever got, and you get a jaff or a bad decision. But like you can't live on the fact you didn't score a hundred. You have to and it is a hard skill, and I don't think it's things you can learn overnight. Um, but if you can get in that play and understand that as a young player in particular, that actually I'm not going to I'm not going to live and die by hundreds and not hundreds. Um, it's the it's the process of how you get there and what you've done on the day. And you're if you can live by that, I think you're a lot more consistent. And the best player I've I've ever seen in my, the teams I played in was Andrew Strauss. Like he was one of those guys as a as a younger player. You watched him, and if he came down for dinner in the evening after a day's play you would never quite know whether he's got 100 or not. And I think that, for me, I was watching him all the time. And I, I was the same. I used to beat myself. If I didn't score runs, I'd always beat myself up. And I'm sat there looking at him. And he might have had a bad day, but you'd just never know. And I thought he had the best way, certainly the England players that I saw, of just not knowing. And I think over that one, when I watched him and spent more time with him, that was sort of it. And then obviously we, got, we talked a lot about that again, living in an outcome world in cricket. The reality is you're going to fail a lot more that um, you are going to score hundreds or fifties. And so you have to be able to um, reflect. And I suppose, um, yeah, when you, when you do, you know, reflect on your day or the game you've been in, you have to look at the process, not necessarily the outcome all the time. And the, and the honesty comes in there as well. Did you get yourself out? You know, was it a Jaffa, bad decision? There, there is a lot of stuff out of your control. If you're honest with it, then I think you can park that and then move on to the next game. Absolutely spot on, mate. Um, so Andrew Strauss was really one of the guys who made you really start to dig into that and, and understand that because that is just that, that is incredibly powerful to be able to realise. Yeah. Because that's when well, you whether, he, whether he meant it or not, I'm not yeah, sure. Okay. But it's just watching his general, the way he was around the group. Um, you know, I think he might have even been one of the test matches in 11. I, did, I think he might have cut what he got naught first innings and then he got sec- 100 second innings. Mm. But again, you know, he hit that bullet of a cut shot. I think it was caught. I can't remember who caught it at Gully. But again, you, again, as captain as well, I suppose he has to do it. But again, his just demeanour didn't change through that test match, whether not first innings, 100 second innings, and he was exactly the same bloke, which I think um, around the group for us, that was that was uh, amazing to be around, really. Mm. So uh, so work, after working with um, Andrew, that was when really for you, the clarity and the penny dropped to say, you know what, that's actually a really important skill that I need to, I need to master. Definitely. I think, again, with Mark Borden, who came into our group as well yeah, as a psychologist, okay. he, he, he made us really understand that and really drive. Don't judge yourself on the outcome, even though the world probably is and the newspapers and the journos and the supporters and everyone is going, oh, you haven't scored runs for this amount of time, but don't judge yourself on that, even though you are. You're going to have to at some point, and that's the world we live in. You accept that but you've got to try and find a way of actually not letting that affect you and find a way of judging yourself more on the process than necessarily what the outcome is. Yeah, so well said, mate. That's it. It's so incredibly powerful. It's something that everyone, gosh, needs to master. And I didn't realize that until, gosh, I'd finished test cricket, how important the process is. Yeah. And that's all you can, all you can control. 
the other yeah. things, other things, and the honesty around it as well is really important. You said that absolutely. The honesty of whether it was you getting yourself out or making a mistake that was in your control, or whether it was actually just something that was out of your control, and accept it yeah. and and move on. Okay, you talked about the media and the public and all that sort of thing. So, um, as you and I know all too well, the media can provide a few different challenges at times. <laughs> so from what you know, so from what you know now, um, would you approach the media in a different way throughout your career? I, th- I think for me, it was always a matter of, well, I think when you first come in, you're not quite sure what to do. I think that initially you come in as a young player, when you get into that environment, you're thinking, right, I want everyone to like me. This is what it is. But the reality is you, that's, you waste a lot of energy on trying to make lots of different people. One think you're a good player. Cause the reality mm. is, it's going to be mixed. And whether that's mm. English journos, other journos around the world or supporters, it's going to be a mixed bag. So I think I learned very early not to waste energy on sometimes worrying what other people think. Um, not take myself too seriously as well. I look back and probably could have done that a bit better. I think as I got on, as I went on, I got that, I did that a little bit better. Um, but I, I, and to be honest with you, I was, I'm quite a late person coming onto social media as well. So the majority of my career, I think at one point it was only, myself, Alistair Cook, Straussy, probably that weren't on Twitter, probably even up to, I think I got on in 2013, 14. So again, a lot of my career, I didn't, I tried to keep that to a bit of a, a minimum while I was playing. I, I know I would have found that quite hard um, or not having necessarily a, um, a method to deal with it. So I just sort of parked it a little bit. So we really, I mean, most of the time it was just keep the newspaper out of the dressing room and just just keep whatever happens in the team. That's all that we're, you know matters to me. You know, family and the team, everything on the peripheral, we can we don't need to worry too much about. Um, but again, like in the areas now, I mean, um, it's different, isn't it, with the social media? Because again, newspapers, when you don't have them in the dressing room anymore, it's it, it comes to your door, it comes to your hotel room, it comes wherever you want to be, it's there. So I'm quite glad in a way I sort of did keep that to a side. I don't, I don't think that would have affected me in a positive way. Uh, or certainly looking back, I wouldn't have had a method, but maybe over time and where this evolves, you will have a method of dealing with it. Um, but I think for me, it was, it was just a matter of understanding that you're not going to please everyone as well on a, so don't, don't waste too much energy on it. Yeah. The, what you said there about the, the technique of, well, not reading the papers, not allowing them into the dressing room, because in the end, everyone, everyone knows what the actual reality of, of life is. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Whether it's yeah. individually, collectively within the team. And, um, yeah. and that was my way of being able to shut it out, mm-hmm. of not reading it. Because if I felt mm-hmm. like if I, if I read it at all, then you're starting to get influenced yeah. by things that is actually, a lot of the time, is, is yeah. it actually true? And do, like in the end, if, you, if you're not scoring runs, you're not performing, you're not getting yeah. outcomes that you're looking for, well, yeah. everyone knows that it's not going to be, it's not probably going to be positive things that are written about you. But you can also find them when you play well as well. There'd always be a, yeah. be a negative within that article when you play well. Yeah. So you're a bit like, what's the point of that anyway? So yeah, yeah that's, that was my way about it. Absolutely. Um, and a lot of guys that, that I play with as well, that's, that was you know, their way of being able to shut it out. Mm. Because it, you know, the guys who read all the media, at some stage, there was going to be vulnerable moments that would have, mm. that, that would have mm. dug them really deep. But you talked about social media. I wanted to ask this as well because – this is a really big thing for this next generation of how to, yeah. how to deal with that. So like going through it and know, knowing that, you know, the way that you did was shut it out, which is exactly the same as mm. me. I, sh- I shut it out. Even though I was, I hadn't had accounts, I never read it because I never wanted to get any engagement whatsoever into people like faceless people. But what would you, what would you, 
what advice would you give this next generation of maybe potentially a, a method to be able to deal with it and harness it as well as you can get the good side, but then the, um, you know, stay away from the downside of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like you said, it's one, it's finding a method, isn't it? And uh, mm. what works for you? I think we're all different, aren't we? We're all different people. I mean, I, I have heard, I mean, Alex Stewart always used to say, he used to like reading the press so he could prove them wrong. Mm. I'm not sure I like, no, too many people like reading negative stuff about themselves, but <laughs> Yeah. Um, it, but I think it is, it's understanding yourself, understanding what your method is, whether it is, you know, you give it to your agent and you take yourself off it. And if you need stuff out there, you find a way of somebody else doing it for you. I think that is really important. Um, but I think, again, I, I, it's that kind of trying to say to the next generation that actually you shouldn't judge yourself from what social media says either. Um, there's going to be a lot of people out there with opinions, different opinions jealous people, all sorts of people out there, they're going to have their, their, their uh, you know, throw their weight in and, and, and opinions. And I think you can't judge yourself on, on the way social media is. I think for me, the only important thing, certainly through my period, was what did my teammates think of me and the family? Everything else outside of that during series, I, I wasn't interested in, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's absolutely right. It's the only, it's the only way you can sort of mm-hmm. navigate your way through it because yeah. there's a thing like the people who – and now with social media, it's so easy for everyone to have an opinion. Um, and, and, and all, a lot of those people, all those people have got no idea what kind of person you are like deep down anyway. So it's okay for, yeah. that if they don't have that personal connection with you, then how do, how do they know what they're actually commenting yeah. on? Um, so no, it's a good, um, it's a really important thing nowadays with the, mm. the young generation coming through, they've got 100%. to be able to harness it because I know um, even a couple of guys I played with recently, they talked about, well, I thought that I'd just, I'd read it, you know, I'd read it and it's fine. It mm. actually motivated me and I'm, and that sort of thing. But then they said there's actually a couple of times where I was mm. a bit vulnerable, hadn't had a couple of good games yeah. and then it actually really hit me hard. So yeah, yeah. you got to find a method that works that doesn't Absolutely. mean you don't dig too deep. Okay. This is going to get into um, other aspects away from, uh, away from cricket, and for me, this is actually this is one of the most important life skills that most of us don't get much education on throughout our lives. Um, but managing investing our money as well as we possibly can is so in- integral to make the most of what we've got. So, looking back from where you are now, um, from what you've earned throughout your life so far, would you have done things differently from an investment and and wealth generation point of view? Uh, not really. I, I suppose if I'm honest with you, what I was quite lucky. So I had, uh, both my parents were accountants. So I had Stop no other it. way of being, a, I know, I know. So I had both parents yeah. literally telling me, put it away, put it away, put it away. Yeah. So I was a little Jeez. bit lucky like that, but, um, I am, whether that's a bit boring or not the answer you wanted, mate, I'm not sure. But I no. think, um, I think reality was, yeah, I mean, all, all my plan really through my career was I wanted to make sure that you know, I could put a portfolio together at the end that would look after me when that day comes and I'm not mm-hmm. playing anymore. You know, what I want to do going forward is I want to find if it is coaching or if it's whatever it is down the line, it's something that I love doing, not because I have to do it. So that was sort of my goal through my career was can I set myself up for that day? Um, sort of touch wood, I think I'm sort of nearly there and it's um, it's all right. But that that was sort of my goal being quite, again, having a portfolio that's quite varied uh, from property to other investments, um, just like I said, to be as smart as I possibly could for, like I said, it doesn't last forever. You're playing and, um, you know, it's, uh, it can come and go pretty quickly. Cause that's, so for me growing up in my family, my family weren't accountants, so they didn't really like 
they educated me in a little way, but not to, to the extent of, um, you know, making sure that you you really set yourself up. So mm-hmm. talk to me about like, so the strategy you've said around like investment in a, in a diverse portfolio, is that what you did from like, from a young age, like in your early twenties when you started to make some money or was it, where is there a sort of point where you thought, okay, now I've got to really like dive into this. And then what did that look like? And who did, who did you find to be able to help you? But like, yeah, diversify. Again, I think, with it, it's, it's having people around that you trust as well. So, mm. you know, I felt, obviously I had an, uh, an accountant of mine who obviously did have other, has a lot of other sportsmen and stuff. But again, it became a relationship that, again, a lot of trust. Uh, he understood me as well in terms of what I was looking for, um, like more of a long-term thing than just, like I said, something that turns around um, and high risk. So I was never someone that was sticking stuff in high-risk portfolios to go, right, make me money tomorrow. But it was more long-term strategy. I probably started... You know, more in terms of um, property side, like that's what I would do when I was a younger player. I'd be just, you know, getting an apartment, then sell, you know, paying that off, getting another one, rent that one out, and move on a little bit. So it was always a little bit more like that. Yeah, I wouldn't say there was an, at that stage early was a strategy, but um, you know, I tried to again when the money came in, be as smart as I could be, making it trying to make it work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's what it was, but probably over the last 10 years really got something in plan uh, probably a little bit longer but yeah something that again for that day because again when you're 20 you're not thinking about the finish line or mm. what I'm going to do when I just want to you know be a 21 21 year old don't you and get out but um yeah I think in certainly when I hit sort of 29 30 start to really you know put things down to make sure that when this day did come that um that I was ready to go but again trying to be as not just stick into one thing but just be as again have it quite versatile and, and, and um, varied as much as possible. It's very wise for, for to be able to do that from, you know, start doing that from a young age and the realization that it's not going to last forever and having you know, people around you to be able to um, educate yeah. on that as well. Because so many guys that I, that I see in my experiences earlier on in my career as well, was that something that people never really talked about is how important it was to be able to have that long-term view. Um, because yeah. otherwise you, before you know it, it's done and you haven't made the most, you had, you haven't made your money work for you. What you said there is, yeah. is absolutely right. Um, and just talk to me around like the, so you had the, you've had the accountant who's, um, who you've trusted. Has that been someone you've had from like early on in your career? Not, uh, not, not necessarily. There's been lots of different people. I, I was okay. saying the last 10 years. Yes. Mm. Um, and you do get offered. I mean, the one thing you do, you're not shy of, especially when you, I'm sure it's the same in Australia, when you start getting into those teams and you get all sorts of offers from lots of different people and we can do this, we can do that, we can, and, and sometimes, you know, I was, uh, again, I, lucky enough that, again, I had parents more that were more on the uh, sensible side in terms of financially, they're always wary of, it's sort of too good to be true kind of um, people offering you things, certainly when you're in London, but um you know, I think, um, again, again, down to a relationship, I tried to have people around me that, again, that I can trust, that know, understand me and what I'm after. So if it was an investment, they understand where I'm coming from already. They're not going to be putting me into something that they know that I'm not going to have any interest in either. Yeah, yeah, to be able to have your parents, to be able to fall, to be able to have their, to be able to like get their um, advice on, yeah, on people or things that came along, it's, it's gosh, it's very fortunate. I think certainly an early age, it's, it's um, yeah, it's handy, yeah, it's handy you definitely need to get continue to get that out there because there's something in cricket with my experience that like you're one of the first mm-hmm. people I've actually talked to who's um, in throughout the people that I've interviewed that's actually had that um, knowledge and understanding um, 
from a fairly young age to be able to set themselves up and realize it's a, it is a long-term view um, mm. to be able to do it. So yeah, the more, the more we can, you continue to get out there and educate and that's part yeah, of yeah. You know, what this yeah. is all about is to be able to educate people because it's so important to be able to make the most of what mm. you've got, whether it's, whether it's just a you know, first class cricket or whoever it is, yeah. you've you got to make the most yeah. of what you've got. Because 100%. a lot of people now, there's you know, especially with you know, gambling and all these different things that are out there, gosh, yeah, I certainly don't. Okay, one thing that I've um, realized is that life is all about how well you bounce back from setbacks that life always throws at you. So do you have a mantra mm-hmm. or a saying in your life that helps you bounce back quicker from the challenges that life always throws your way? Uh, n- not as such. I-, I think I've always tried to live like that anyway. Um, as a, you know, when you're trying to make a career as a, I suppose, as a batsman alone, you're going to get knocked over a lot. So I think, um, I think that, that pretty much has been, you know, whatever, if you get knocked down for me, it was always getting back up and you have another crack. And I think actually that, that nearly came to a point when I knew it was right time to retire because actually I was like, <sighs> Obviously, I'd had some niggles, injuries, and I just hadn't got it in me anymore to probably get up again, get fitter again, get in the nets and get better. And I think that that was really clear to me when I knew it was time to retire because as a batsman, um, but as a cricketer, and I'm sure as a sportsman, and in life, you're going to get knocked down a hell of a lot. Uh, even the top, top players get knocked down. It's how you respond to that. So I, probably that is what I've always tried to be like, you know, uh, with, with cricket, I've been knocked down one hell of a lot. So it's, yeah. it's about what you do, how you respond to that. If you, if you don't want to get up again, it's time to probably move on. Yeah. That's the, the beauty of life in a way is that, that um, like growing up for me, I yeah, didn't realize to the extent that life is always there to knock you down. The one thing with cricket, as you said, like you're getting like there, you have a, there's a lot of failures um, and that's the actual skill that you develop and you don't realize it until you get to yeah. a stage where you're like, actually, I've got it. I'm dealing with it nearly daily. And that's a skill yeah. that I've you know, that I've got to develop because then I've got to master as much as I can. Cause that's also what, that's not just cricket. That's what life, that's what life's all about. Yeah. Um, and Absolutely, yeah. yeah, and that's the, that's the times when you learn as well, when the, when things don't go mm-hmm. exactly right, that's the times that you really, you really able to make the most of those and learn to try and, mm-hmm limit the chance of that happening again <laughs> okay you've met and been around a lot of incredibly success, successful people is there one or two people who has inspired you the most and and why uh, yeah i mean again i was sort of thinking along this one and i do you know I, one of the things in 2011 actually i became um a uh, ambassador for acorn children's hospice in birmingham and i think yeah. like there's a lot of famous people a lot of people that like you say met along the way and had some great lessons, great advice, but actually mm. they, they were the kind of things um, going in there and just seeing some of the kids there, you know, with the smiles on their face, they crack on and do, even though things aren't easy for them um, and the work that's done there. I think that for me was one of the best things because going, coming back and there's things that sometimes you go in the dressing room or a cricket or a train, you moan about and you suddenly start to think, everything's pretty good and I think they're there the moments and I think I look back and that for me becoming a um you know, ambassador there uh as that really helped me actually in my cricket because it I, I love going like going there so it's an incredible place anyway um and to see the work that's done but again those kids that just like I said every day just get up whatever's going on in their life the illnesses and everything that's going on is so positive and I think for me taking that back into sport that was probably one of the most, um, it was the best thing I've ever done or one of the best things I've ever done. 
Um, and I think it's sort of like I said, I, I do take a second sometimes looking, you know, when you're in sport and you can moan about certain things um, and realize how lucky you are actually. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, that's a yeah, perspective that everyone needs to have in their life. <laughs> about that especially Absolutely. you get caught up in your own little little world and yeah little things yeah. actually can really um turn into big things where yeah when you have that perspective like you like you have um yeah, it's so important. I absolutely love reading and learning and watching and, and also watching docu- documentaries as well um, because I'm, I'm fascinated by how other people do things, how, how other teams have done things. Is there one yeah. like book or, or documentary that you've watched um, that's really stood out to you that's had a big impact and you've, and, um, you've got a lot out of? Um, yeah, I mean, again, like I said, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a massive reader of that and it's probably something I need to start getting into and, and reading and, and looking into stuff, certainly if I'm going to go down the coaching route, but I certainly did enjoy the Michael Jordan documentary just recently, certainly in the first lockdown we had. Mm. I mean, what I found fascinating, one, him as an athlete and how you know driven he was, but as the, the team culture, the different individuals, the management of different individuals and the way they went about it and the hunger they had as a group and how they evolved actually over time. Um. But I think that, and in particular, the management from Rodman to uh, to Scottie Pippen and to these guys, just, just the way that, again, as a coach, how they manage those players, but how effective they were to to can't continually win. I suppose that's the hardest. Is we win one, but to win two, three, and keep going is just um, an incredible effort. So I thought that was um, something that's had quite a big impact recently. Yeah, no, no question. That's the thing that stood out for me the most was um, Phil Jackson, his ability to be mm-hmm. able to manage all these different personalities and and big yeah. egos and find the ways to be able to get the best out of them individually. It's one thing that um, with my experience, coaches don't necessarily do that well. It's very much if, you, if you're a sort of cookie cutter, mm-hmm. they pigeonhole you into this sort of personality. If you're not this person, personality type they find it harder to be able to manage you that's been my experience a lot of the coaches that I've worked with but you see someone like Phil Jackson and how he's just being able to like pull in you know because he's got an understanding of and the different wavelengths wavelengths that different people are on he knows to be able to to pull it all pull it all together yeah I mean we don't want you you certainly don't want a team all of just nice guys do you You need a blend as well don't you you need a complete range of characters and that's the gold dust, isn't it? People that can manage big characters and maybe somebody actually is a little bit rough around the edges that can drag them in, but you know that they're going to affect the team in a positive way and, and, and certainly games. But, you know, certainly the higher level you go up, isn't it? I think the management of players and people is, is nearly everything. You know, the coaching is one thing and the tactics, but if you can manage people, um, you know, that's so important. Well, gosh, you'll be one of the best coaches in the world, especially in cricket, if you're able to manage people well. Because as I said, my experience is not a lot of people out there who do it incredibly well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I also want to ask is just around. So, the, another thing that stood out to me the most around um, the last dance was Michael Jordan's intensity and his mm-hmm. his intensity had every single time he trained every single time he played and that was like day in day out was something just blew me away like i've only really i only saw that i've only seen that intensity really with ricky ponting and and virat Mm. and virat sort of outwardly you can see that yeah who was who was the person was there a couple of people who was like really close to to that sort of intensity that you played with or you were around um uh, to be honest with you i mean I mean, Jimmy Anderson can be like that. I mean, yeah. again, like he playing when you play him when he's at Lancashire or England, mm. it made no difference. Um, 
obviously at times I was quite lucky to be on his side with England. But again, if I was batting against him for lengths, he'd be full yeah. of me, full tilt. Yeah. Um, and I think he does have that. And whether as a bowler you need to have that or whether he's in that much pain or whatever it is, yeah. but I would say collectively he finds a way each match to be at that level. Um, uh, and, and most sportsmen do, but like I said, to, to be at that mm. level all the time, as you mentioned, ponting and watching the way Coley goes about his business at the moment. But I would say from from my point of view around that team, Jimmy regularly could get himself in a, in a pretty competitive place whether it's for Lancashire or for England or whoever he was playing for I reckon in the game of cricket he'd be arguing with anyone yeah I'm glad you said that <laughs> because it was re- it was relentless there's not too, I don't reckon there's an innings or a ball that I faced where Jimmy wasn't at me so you're right he does he knows how no, to get himself I'll, up I'll, don't worry mate I've popped plenty of that as well Warwickshire versus Lancashire mate <laughs> glad I wasn't on my own <laughs> it wasn't just saved up for, the, for me or the Aussies um, brilliant. Um, Be- Belly, honestly, um, this has been like incredibly special to have had you on this episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Um, after playing against you for so long and admiring you from afar, there, look, there are no secrets why you, you were able to achieve these incredible things that you did throughout your career. And it really has been very special to hear these incredible insights that everyone can learn from for the future. I'm so grateful for you giving me the time to share all these amazing experiences um, with us. And we're all that much richer for digging deeper into the minds of one of the greats of world cricket. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Brilliant. Cheers, buddy. Thanks, man. For more episodes of Lessons Learned with the Greats, head to t20stars.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.